The opinions expressed on this WebmasterRadio.fm program are those of the host, guests, and callers, and do not reflect those of the staff, management, or advertisers of WebmasterRadio.fm. Any rebroadcast or retransmission of this program without the express written consent of WebmasterRadio.fm is prohibited. It's time to get fired up. Fired Up is a show that delivers both business impact and social importance. Get ready to explore the connection between communications and human motivation. Our guests will share ideas on how to create higher returns on your communication investments by engaging the people who matter most. Our host, Gordon Rudo, CEO of Bonfire Communications, has bridged the communications gap from startups and nonprofits to the Fortune 500, from political leaders to celebrity CEOs. Get ready to be fired up with your master communicator, Gordon Rudo. So, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Fired Up. I'm Gordon Rudo, I'm your host. Glad to have you all back again. Uh, As you folks know, we are looking at communications inside of organizations, Uh, looking at how do we keep our organizations healthy and confident and vibrant and alive, Uh, but look at communicators and leaders playing a significant role in getting our people uh, connected, keeping them passionate, keeping them excited, keeping them engaged, and fundamentally getting some jobs done, getting the work done to achieve our purpose, our goals, our mission. And we're looking at this from a, a ton of different directions this season. Uh, so I'm going to dive right in because we have Shell Holtz on today. And I have had the fortunate opportunity to run into Shell at a lot of different events over the years. And uh, speaking at a half a dozen to a dozen events over the last couple of years, you, you can't help but uh, run into Shell. He's everywhere. And the uh, last couple of days I've had the opportunity to look through his content uh, pretty vigorously. And I, I can't even explain my, my experience over the last few days. <laughs> the amount of content is just staggering uh, that this man produces. Uh, I don't know if you're on 470 or so or 440 of your, your Hobson and Holtz reports, but we're going to get into that in just a second. I just want to tell you a little bit about Shell. He is uh, 30 years or so inside this business. And when we're talking about organizational communications, uh, he has been around, uh, been on the client side, and been running corporate communications departments for the big companies. So he did the big company thing a couple different times, and now is the uh, principal of Holtz Communication and Technology, working with really big companies, Intel, Sears, Pepsi, General Mills, Symantec, the World Bank. Um, so he's been around the block a handful of times, but really in our space is is primarily a guru in the technology side these days. I think he can speak to all of it, but uh, where we've seen him speaking a lot and where we're going to talk about today uh, is going to be inside of the enterprise. But on the Web 2.0 side, he's written a bunch of books on this stuff, how to do everything with podcasting, uh, blogging for business, wrote a book called Corporate Conversations, which I just started reading and I found incredibly accessible and useful, uh, The Intranet Advantage, The Communicator's Guide to Intranets, uh, communication and technology, so just a ton of material. Um, so I want to welcome Shell. How are you doing today, buddy? Doing great, Gordon. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Yeah. As I told Shell before the show, I don't, I don't typically write a whole lot of questions, but uh, with the amount of content he's produced, it just stimulated all kinds of thinking. So uh, we'll just dive in, if that's okay, Shell. And uh, if I can just start by asking, after 30 years or so in this space, uh, where technology 
barely existed um, to where today it is beyond our control. Um, what, did, what did you see as the difference? If you look 25 years or 30 years ago to now and you look at the, the role of the leader, the role of communicators inside of the enterprise, how would you describe that change? Well, you know, the fundamental change is the ability of people to talk to each other, to reach out to, to identify uh, and, and have conversations with each other unencumbered by the processes that the organization has put in place. You know, my first exposure to all of this was in the mid-1980s. It would have been 85 or 86. I was uh, either a manager of, corporate, uh, manager of employee communications or director of uh, corporate communications at Mattel, and uh, for reasons that I won't get into, I had acquired uh, both a, a computer, uh, my first one, which was an IBM PC with two five-and-a-quarter-inch floppy drives and no hard drive, uh, and a modem. Um, and somebody came into my office and, and saw the modem and said, oh, are you on a BBS? And I had never heard of them. I didn't know what they were. Uh, and he connected me to one. And it was an epiphanous moment as I saw you know, the early bulletin boards. Uh, these were ones that were all local for people who dialed into these hobbyist BBSs, bulletin board systems. But every night, these conversations were uploaded to a central server uh, called FidoNet and then re-downloaded the next morning uh, to the BBS. So you could see not only what people who were dialing into your BBS were saying, but people in, engaged in these conversations in BBSs all over the world. Um, and, you know, the, the thought that I had, and it was a pretty instant one, was this is going to change the nature of communications for everybody. Um, took a long time to get people to pay attention to that concept, but that's exactly what's happening. Uh, when you talk about not having control, you used to have at least the illusion of control because you would send out a message and where people were able to talk about it was where they were able to connect physically, um, on the, in the carpool in the morning, around the coffee maker, uh, outside having a cigarette. But, uh, you know, to find like-minded people uh, that you could uh, connect with and, and even plan action with uh, was unheard of, and now it's standard. And that's a pretty significant change to occur in such a short space of time. How are you seeing corporate leaders and, and people in the communications or HR space deal with it these days? i got to imagine. Badly, uh, by and large. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely seeing good case studies, and, and those are the ones that I write about and talk about. But mostly what I'm seeing is people trying to find ways to obstruct it uh, the, uh, first of all, simply not incorporating these tools internally uh, is, is, is one thing that you're seeing. Organizations that are saying, no, you know, we're not going to bring in uh, clones of Twitter or clones of Facebook inside the organization in, our, in order to allow our employees to network. We need them working and not networking. Uh, and it's just a, a huge failure to understand the kind of value that accrues to the organization when employees are able to network around work, not to mention socially. Work is a social construct. The job is a social construct. Uh, and work is a social activity. And, uh, you know, you're never going to stop people from talking about last night's episode of American Idol or what have you. Uh, and to give people a space to do that with a larger group of people who share the same interest merely bonds them more to their fellow employees as well as to the organization. But, yeah, by and large, I'm just seeing organizations resist this. I'm also seeing most organizations blocking access to a lot of content, uh, which I think is, is a huge mistake. Um, access to a lot of these, these social networks, employees who can't get to Twitter, employees who can't get to Facebook, employees who can't get to YouTube. I know organizations that have YouTube channels that their own employees have to go home to watch. 
fact, I know one organization where the oversight body uh, has meetings that are videotaped, and those, me- those videotapes are uploaded to YouTube. This is where decisions are made that will affect employees, and employees can't watch the videos unless they go home and watch on their own computers because it's blocked at, at the workplace. It's just ridiculous. So I see organizations dealing with this very badly, by and large. So they're clearly not ready for it at some level. Uh, the top-down structures are breaking down and they're democratizing uh, the workplace. But if they're not ready for it, what do you think is holding them back? Well, I think it's uh, an adherence to old processes. I think you have a lot of leaders in organizations who achieved the success that they have achieved based on those old models, uh, and they're laboring under uh, some uh, false beliefs about the new media. Uh, For example, that it's just uh, kids or it's just nerds in pajamas, uh, that that, that there really are no benefits. I continue to see the proclamation that there is no business advantage to letting employees use Facebook, and this in the face of organizations that have documented the value that they have gotten out of letting employees use Facebook. Uh, give you one example. Ernst & Young uh, mounted a recruiting campaign on Facebook, and there were discussion groups that were part of the page that they set up, the group that they set up, things like uh, what it's like to be an auditor at, at Ernst & Young or um, consider IT at Ernst & Young were more than just uh, counting. Uh, and they had real employees, real auditors, and, and real IT people engaged in these conversations. That's a lot more compelling to somebody considering a job or an internship than reading the text that was written by, you know, Corn Ferry or somebody like that and, and published in a display ad. But in order for employees to be able to do that, they have to have access um, it was a phenomenally uh, effective campaign for Ernst & Young. It was written up in the Wall Street Journal and a variety of other places. Uh, but it's a leap of faith. It says you have to trust your employees. And I think, you know, not to get off on this uh, blocking access tangent, but I think that uh, any organization that blocks access to uh, these, these resources for all employees sends a message that we don't trust you. Uh, and I don't know how you achieve the levels of engagement that most CEOs are after in their workforce uh, when one of the core messages employees here is we don't trust any of you. I'd like to spend some time in this conversation on this issue of trust because I think this is going to be a, a central theme. We've heard it a lot before. Uh, we're going to need to take a short break, but when we come back, let's talk about trust and talk about the changing role of the leader and what they need to get through in their own personal process to open up these pathways for communications. We'll be right back with Shell just after this. Stay tuned. Fired up on webmasterradio.fm. We'll return after this short break. Affiliate Convention 2009 Denver, Thursday and Friday, June 18th and 19th. Free for all affiliates and all the information you need to know to grow your business. For more information about registration and sponsorship, visit www.affiliateconvention.com. Are you happy with your landing page performance? Discover how to improve your landing page performance with ConversionCritic.com. Brought to you by Engine Ready. Turn your underperforming landing pages into cost-effective sales-producing machines. Be sure you're not wasting your precious PPC budget. Conversion Critic tools give you the ingredients to create high converting landing pages. You don't have to be an expert to use Engine Ready's Conversion Critic tools, but you'll feel like a landing page pro. Take the guesswork out of increasing your conversion rate. ConversionCritic.com and boost your conversion rate for free. That's www.conversioncritic.com. Here's your bill. 
Thank you so much, guys. Hey, it's all right. I'll take care of the tab, Jason. Well, thanks, Dave. How are you doing so well these days? It seems everyone's in a pinch for cash. RevenueWire.com, that's how. RevenueWire? Yeah, RevenueWire.com is an all-in-one platform offering affiliates high-demand software from top-notch PC utility merchants. With 75% commissions, twice-monthly payouts, incredibly accurate analytics tools, RevenueWire is making you more money today than it did in the last few years put together. Even in this economy? Especially in this economy. RevenueWire has a ton of great products to meet the demand. I'm telling you, this network is recession-proof. RevenueWire, the recession-proof network platform. For more information, visit RevenueWire.com today. That's RevenueWire.com. The Shoe Money Show. Ring on the bling. Thursdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the advertising channel. On WebmasterRadio.fm. Trying to crank in the cast. You're getting fired up. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we're back with Shell Holtz, and we're talking about this issue of trust. And, and he has a point of view and a handful of experiences lately of companies trying to block access and obstruct things. And as much as you didn't want to stay on this topic, I think it's worth staying on Shell. I think this is a really big issue, and, and I believe this leap of faith, as you describe it, is very difficult for a lot of leaders when they are managed by corporate boards, uh, when you're dealing with the compliance issues and regulatory issues. And, of course, you are a big proponent of this, but I just want to push and look at these other sides. You know, this is a risky thing to do, or at least it's perceived as such. Um, so what's your message to leaders who aren't taking this leap of faith and, and maybe not engaging all of this, this data that already exists? Um, what do you have to say? Well, you know, trust is a huge issue. Uh, as, you, as you look at engagement, and, you know, engagement as, as uh, defined initially by Gallup, uh, with their what was it called Q11, I think was the the process that they went through. Uh, you know, trust underli- underscores and underlies all of the the engagement um, criteria. Um, why would employees give discretionary effort uh, to the organization? Why would employees want to drag other employees to the level that they're at? And yeah, it, it it has to start with believing that your leaders are making good, sound, ethical decisions that account for your and your fellow employees' well-being. Um, I mean, trust in general, uh, as, as uh, Richard Edelman defined it, we had him on an episode of, uh, of our show, uh, is, is the belief that people are doing the right things. And, you know, there's been plenty of research to support the idea that um, the, the, the greater the line of sight between the CEO and, and the senior leaders of an organization and the front line, uh, the greater the engagement, uh, the higher the levels of trust. Uh, so, you know, those, those CEOs that hide in their offices uh, and, and delegate communications to communication departments, um, and the only thing you hear from the CEO is that, that column that appears, uh, at least it used to, on the inside front cover of the employee magazine uh, that was clearly written by the communication staff. Um, that doesn't cut it in these days where people are getting more and more accustomed to direct contact with people. I mean, you know, this is one of the consequences of social media is, is you have you know, the leaders of organizations from, from those that you would anticipate would be there in the high-tech industry, the Jonathan Schwartzes of the world, to people like Paul Levy, who runs a hospital in Massachusetts, uh, to Bill Marriott, uh, who runs the Marriott International Hotel chain. Um, you know, people are starting to hear directly from, from these leaders. And, uh, you know, I think increasingly you're going to find those who 
don't engage, uh, particularly with their employees, are going to be uh, the marginalized ones. Uh, they're going to be um, working in organizations where they're struggling to get the levels of engagement that translate into the, the, um, the increased market shares and the increased profitability. Yeah, one of the points that you bring up on your blog, and this was a, a research piece by Aberdeen, 52% of organizations that adopt blogs, wikis, and social networking tools achieve best-in-class performance compared to 5% that didn't, or the same right. use with an organization that achieve 18% year-over-year improvement, where companies who don't use the tool only grow engagement by uh, 1%. And if you look at the, the Gallup or the Conexa work today that we had Jeffrey Saltzman on the other day from Conexa talking about confidence, or the Great Place to Work Institute, three of the biggest instruments out there to measure organizational performance as linked to employee experience are all based on trust, yet we're still wrestling with this shell. We see this everywhere, that there are case studies of great work being done, but uh, a good majority of, of Fortune 1000 companies are in fear about this stuff. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, if, if you compare the Fortune 500 and the Inc. 500, you're going to find a much higher percentage of organizations that are starting to embrace these concepts and, and try to, uh, you know, weave them into their cultures among the, the Inc. 500. And of course, the difference between the two is that the Fortune 500 is, is the largest organizations, and the Inc. 500 is the fastest growing organizations. And if I were one of the Fortune group, I'd, I'd be looking over my shoulder and trying to figure out why they're growing, and, and I'm just holding steady. Well, these guys uh, are struggling with a lot of big issues today. The Fortune 1000 are kind of bigger ships to steer, right? So I'm not a right. fast, nimble, Inc. 500 company. Um, I'm on the Fortune 500, and I've got 20,000, 30,000 employees. Are you telling me that I should be employing or I can employ the same technology, the same practices? Sure. I mean, IBM is one of those Fortune 500 companies, and they embraced this early on. In fact, I had a conversation with Mike Wing, who's a VP over there, uh, around the time they were talking about a program that ultimately did go into effect, trying to get employees to blog publicly about work. Um, they've got about 4,000 of their 390,000 or so employees who have taken them up on the offer. And I said, you know, aren't you the least bit worried that some employee who had a fight with their boss or had a bad day is going to go on the blog and, and trash the company and cause problems? And with this tone of absolute, utter befuddlement, uh, he, he responded by saying, why, why would we have hired them if we don't trust them? Um, and I think that this is you know, a hiring practice that organizations are going to have to start to embrace. Now, rather than bringing people in that you think can do the work and you know, taking restrictive and draconian steps in, in order to con, you know, restrict them from uh, being able to do things that you don't want them to do, you know, hire people who are right for your culture and whom you believe that you can trust and, and let them get passionate about the work that they're doing. Uh, I think you know, the people who are coming out of school today, and you know, as you look at the, the number of baby boomers who are starting to retire, I think it might have been Intel I heard, uh, I could be wrong about that, but some big tech company is looking at losing 40% of their workforce in the next three or four years as all the baby boomers start to retire. Um, as you recruit these people out of college, they have a different expectation about what work is going to be. It's a different expectation from the generation that's leading the organization. And you know, I think if you want to get the right people who really are going to 
serve the cause of, of profitability and growth in your organization, um, you need to look at the values that they have. And, and trust is, is definitely one of them. Engagement is one of them. Networking is one of them. You know, there's, there's also, you know, we might throw into the mix this idea of technology populism. Um, you know, you can throw all the restrictive measures you want into the workplace that block an employee from, from getting on Facebook. Uh, that employee can just bring their own personal laptop that has a connection to the Verizon or the Sprint or the AT&T network, uh, and they get on just fine. I've heard of companies that are, are trying to get around this by blocking those signals in the workplace. <laughs> it just seems... Yeah, it strikes me that there are better things that these organizations could be investing their money in than, than keeping employees from networking with, with each other. But we have to get them through their fears. I mean, at the end of the day, if this uh, caution, this fear, this lack of faith uh, is holding them back, we have to completely address this one. Uh, the, the yeah, absolutely. Like and, uh, that was the point of my last book was was to try to make the point that you know there's an assessment that your organization has to go through to identify uh, your readiness to be more transparent with your your constituent audiences, and that's whether it's customers or investors or employees. Um, and then there are steps that you need to take in order to weave that that sense of transparency, that belief that we have to be candid and open and authentic um, into the organization at all levels. Interesting. And, and which book was this so we can get people looking at that? Tactical Transparency. Now? Oh, this is your new one, Tactical Transparency, Tactical Transparency. So we'll talk about that also at the end as we get people connected into all the different places for your content. But let me ask you this question, a somewhat more philosophical one, and it's something that I struggle with. I'm a part of a half a dozen social networks, and I'm having more and more contacts come from the woodworks of my life uh, and find me. So now I have 500 friends when I thought I only had 30 close <laughs> friends. Um, and this issue of depth and breadth, you know, can we actually manage the breadth of what these networks are now pulling into our lives? Uh, are our relationships becoming less intimate? Are they becoming um, more vast? And that's a, a beautiful, positive thing to be reconnected. But are we losing touch with the reality of, of what is true for us or, or close to us, what do you think on this philosophical level as we look at this trajectory moving forward? Well, yeah, I think there's, there's so many dimensions that we can cover on this issue. Uh, I, I mean, it's, a, it's, it's probably a book-worthy topic. But, you know, fundamentally, the people that you're close to, you're close to. I, I know when my daughter, who's 20, first started to get actively engaged uh, on MySpace, I was a little concerned, and she kind of rolled her eyes, and she says, I don't have any friends on MySpace that I didn't already know in the real world. Uh, this is the way we all stay connected when we can't all be together. Um, and, and she has kind of stuck with that. And I think she kind of may, may represent the generation that's coming up. Uh, the flip side of that uh, are the number of people that I have established, uh, I would say, um, significant relationships with whom I met because of uh, the networking that goes on online. Now, have I established this kind of relationship with everybody who friends me on Facebook or everybody who follows me on Twitter? Well, of course not. Um, it's people I find interesting that I strike up a conversation with, and then we have more conversations, and then we meet for a drink someplace when we're in the same town, uh, and then we get involved in a project together. I mean, look, where do people meet? Uh, they meet at work. They meet at church. Um, you know, they meet at the PTA, and, and now they meet online. It's, it's what do you do with the connections that you make uh, beyond that? And I think it's really just providing another uh, channel through which 
you can meet people with whom you can establish significant relationships. But, you know, I think the word friend on Facebook is, is probably a, a, a bad word, but contact sounds or connection sounds a little cold. So, you know, they went with friend just to warm it up. But, you know, are they really your friends? No, of course not. Only, only a few of them who really are. Uh, but if you look at the ability to create groups, if you take a look at, uh, oh, say, Blue Shirt Nation, the, uh, the social network that was in place at Best Buy, I understand they've replaced it now. Uh, but if you, if you take a look at Blue Shirt Nation, somebody starts a group for, say, uh, just throw one out there, photographers or Harley riders. Now you can establish connections with other retail store employees in other stores and other geographic regions that you never would have met before. But you now have two things in common. You're both Best Buy employees, and you both go riding your Harleys on the weekend. Um, now, there's a connection that could produce significant results, both for you personally, uh, in, in a very rewarding sort of way, um, and for the organization, uh, as there becomes more you know, a growing number of knowledge contacts established in the organization that didn't exist before. So I want to... <laughs> spend more time on this depth and breadth because it's a personal struggle of mine and I agree that we have more abilities to set up relationships that could be meaningful, but the numbers and the scale of this is just enormous. So we're going to take a short break and come back with Shell and talk about what the future of communications looks like if we track this trajectory forward, uh, not just three weeks or three months the way that we, we are forced to these days in the economy, but if we look at it over the next several years, we're going to come back and look at the future of enterprise communications. Just one minute. Stay tuned. Fired Up on WebmasterRadio.fm will return after this short break. Your company's website sucks. You know it. Everybody knows it. So get a to-do list to fix it. On Target, a subscription service from Future Now and Brian Eisenberg monitors your website 24-7, analyzing the actions of every potential customer. It gives you a to-do list. It tells you exactly what to fix and how to fix it so that more of your visitors do what you need them to do. On Target pricing starts at $1,000 a month. See more at futurenowinc.com slash ontarget. Hey, have you got the number for Jerry's Pizza? Look it up on LocalPages.com. LocalPages.com? Well, what if I wanted a business number in Miami? LocalPages.com. Can people find your business online? Be seen with LocalPages.com on every local listing in all the major search engines like Google, Yahoo, MSN, and Ask. With over 6 billion quality searches a month and bids starting as low as one cent, get connected with local consumers at the exact moment that they're looking for you. San Francisco, Green Bay, London. I told you. LocalPages.com. List your business on LocalPages.com now and get $100 in free local advertising. LocalPages.com, bringing your neighborhood to you. Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Wednesdays at 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. Or on demand anytime inside the entertainment channel. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. You're getting fired up. Only on WebmasterRadio.fm. Now, here's Gordon Rudo. So we are back with Shell Holt. And we've talked around this issue of communications and technology uh, for the first part of the show. And now we're going to talk about the future. And uh, Shell has described to me his ability to look a, a couple weeks forward because everything is changing so dramatically. But I'm going to push you, Shell. If we look out five or ten years, if we're in 2014, 2019, and we're looking at what 
What do the IBMs and the Intels and the Best Buys look like? What do the large organizations look like? What do the government agencies look like? How are we communicating inside of these places that we call our organizational life? Well, first of all, I have to you know, go back to a, a point I, I make with a lot of people in a lot of talks I do, and that's that uh, old media don't kill, or new media don't kill old media. Um, we're still going to be communicating one way top down um, in, in 10 years and 20 years. There's always going to be a need to let people know and to communicate uh, with or, or to people. Um, that said, I think some of the things that we can look forward to assuming the current trends stay on the same trajectory. Uh, rather than a team being built to manage a project, it's going to be more of an open collaboration model, uh, that the word will go out that, that there is a product that we're developing or, or an initiative that we're launching. Um, and those of you with the skill and the interest and the passion who would like to be part of this, um, be part of it. And you'll be able to join up uh, on a website or whatever the web evolves into. Um, and just just like Linux was created when, when Linus Torvalds uh, issued the note saying he wanted to create a new operating system, who wants to play with me? Um, I think you're going to get much better results than, than having a project manager or an executive pick a team uh, based on people that he knows uh, or she knows uh, are are skilled in this area, but may not have passion around it, may not have interest, may be overburdened with other work. Uh, the the ability to go out and say who wants to be part of this and get the people who are really really intrigued and interested uh, to say, oh man, that that's really exciting. I would like to be part of that team uh, to do so. So you know, I think you'll I think you'll see that. I think you'll see the notion of a community of practice uh, evolve into self forming uh, far more organic groups. This is what you get now with a social network inside the organization. You know, I mean, a community of practice used to require a consultant to come in and do a ton of research um, to identify the fact that there are people doing the same kind of work or sharing the same kind of interest scattered throughout the organization in different reporting relationships and, and then to form them into a community and try to keep them engaged with each other as opposed to starting a group saying, hey, I do regulatory affairs. Anybody else in this massive organization doing regulatory affairs? Let's create a group where we can talk to each other. Um, so I, I think these communities of practice are going to, as I say, be self-forming and, and, and self-managing uh, down the road. I think you're going to see ideas uh, for what the organization should be doing. Uh, this is everything from products and services to uh, business initiatives to behaviors to where we should be concentrating our, our corporate social responsibility uh, bandwidth um, coming from from a variety of, of, of crowdsourced um, venues, including employees. You know, over at Dell, uh, they have the Dell Idea Storm externally where any customer can submit an idea, others can come in and comment on it, and then vote to promote or demote it, and the ones that get promoted the most are the ones that management looks to turn into action. Well, they also have one running internally, and it's proving to be far more effective than, than surveys and focus groups, as somebody would, would, and I'm completely making this example up. I have no idea whether it was ever introduced in, um, uh, in, in the Dell environment, but if somebody says, you know, it would be really great if long-term care was offered as, as a benefit here. And people came in and said, you know, everyone in my family who would require long-term care already has coverage through, uh, you know, their retirement. And uh, it's just not that important to me. And it, and it gets 
you know, 10 votes to promote and, and 300 to demote, uh, management never even needs to look very seriously at that. But the ones that get the most votes to promote, uh, I know that, that Dell has uh, implemented a lot of programs and a lot of uh, you know, changes to uh, the work environment based on what they're hearing from employees. And, and that only serves to, uh, you know, strengthen the level of engagement that uh, that employees bring to the workspace. So I think you're going to see more crowdsourcing from employees is one of the groups that, that organizations reach out to. Um, and I think you'll see more uh, employees just talking to each other um, and using whatever tools they need to rather than being shoehorned into you know, Microsoft Project or, or, or what have you uh, in order to get the job done. Right. And by the way, employees will also be producers of content uh, to a far greater extent than they are today. You know, the ability to use a product like Camtasia or your flip camera. I'll, I'll give you a great example. I, I, I can't name the, the client. Uh, this is an ongoing engagement I'm, I'm involved with right now. Uh, but it's a large retail chain. And at one store, uh, a couple of employees got this idea. There were some uh, products that were on sale, so they got those products uh, and they created a sandwich board, and they sort of tied these products to the sandwich board, uh, went across the street to a copy shop and had some color images of the logos for the products made and glued them above the product and placed the sandwich board at the entrance to the store and saw like a 20% increase in the sales to these items. Uh, if I had a flip video camera and I'm one of those employees, I could say, here's how we did this. I could post it to an internal YouTube uh, type of an environment, and everybody at the other stores would now be able to see, oh, what a great idea. We can increase our sales too, and they, they could follow the same steps. You know, rather than me send this to my district manager who may or may not decide to write a memo and send it out to store managers who may or may not decide that it's you know, a, a good idea. So I, I think you're going to see much more employee-generated content around uh, the work that they do. Cool. I don't need to poke on this one anymore. I think that's a pretty robust answer, but I do want to get a different question out there before we go, and, and we only have a few more minutes. Um, but I'm curious, as, as we start wrapping up and getting into takeaways uh, for our listeners, if Shell Holtz was to have his own venture and you were to, to be growing your own large company or maybe it's a nonprofit or even uh, a social venture with, with a lot of meaning for you personally and you wanted to create a movement around it, you wanted to inspire and connect with tens, hundreds of thousands of people, millions of people to join you in something, what would be your first steps? What, what would you begin to employ? Well, it would be you know, a variety of social media channels in a strategic manner uh, that was designed to not only inform people of, of this movement, but also to give them the call to action and the resources uh, to do something about it. So, you know, I would establish the property perhaps on a blog, depending on what the issue was, uh, where they would have uh, access to material that they would be able to build into their own properties you know this would be youtube videos they can embed flicker photos they could embed uh slide share powerpoint presentations that they could embed um you know audio what what have you uh assets that would be available to them uh i would tweet heavily that these assets were available and and tweet regularly on the progress uh i would make sure that everything was um share ready so that people could submit it to dig and delicious and uh, stumble upon and, and, and the other uh, social sharing resources uh, that, that I had a presence uh, if the audience uh, synced up with the audience that I was trying to reach uh, I would have a presence in Facebook with a fan page or a group uh, de determining 
which of those, again, de- depends on what it is I'm trying to do and, and who it is I'm trying to reach. Uh, but the strategic concept is what's most important, is that you don't just throw a bunch of stuff on the wall to see what sticks. You have to know who it is that you're trying to reach, what it is you want them to do, and what are the best channels to get them to start talking about it and getting engaged. So you still need to begin with who are you trying to reach and, and really understand the audience first. Well, I think you need to start off with what it is that you're trying to accomplish and then, and then identify, uh, which is a word I'm using now instead of target, because target is getting such bad press these days, uh, but to identify uh, the audience uh, or the demographic uh, that's going to help me um, achieve that goal. Yeah, I mean, this is one of the reasons I don't like the, the post approach that's promoted in the Groundswell book from uh, Forrester Research. Uh, I mean, it's, it's not a bad acronym, uh, People, Objective, Strategy, Tactics, but it starts with people. Uh, and what they're saying is that you should identify where people are in the social media space so that you can tap into those conversations. Um, I think you can tap into a lot of people having conversations who aren't the people who are going to help you achieve your results. That's why you have to start with your goal and then identify which people are going to help you, you know, generate more sales or letters to your congressman or members of the activist group or, or whatever it may be. Uh, so, you know, I always, I always suggest starting with, with your goal. What did, what's the business result that you're trying to achieve? You know, and then I like to go strategy before, for people uh, because the strategy is going to inform the decision about which audience you're going to identify. And I like identify better than target because targeting is getting a bad rap these days. Yes, it is. Well, we need to be speaking in more human terms. People are not targets. They are human beings, and we need to understand where they are and what they care about. So I'm glad we're moving away from targeting and demographic type of language. But we only have about 30 seconds left. Closing thoughts, Shell, for the business communicators and leaders out there. Uh, We talked about their necessity of, of taking this leap of faith and having trust and listening more. Um, you know, I could pull some of these key takeaways, but in, in your words, what are some of your calls to the leaders and, and business communicators out there listening? Well, I think that my, my call to the business communicators who are listening uh, is, is that your role is expanding. Uh, you, you still have to communicate uh, for the reasons that we've been doing employee communications for the last 25 or 30 years. But on top of that, we have to be the conduit uh, between the leadership and employees and between employees uh, and, and other employees. We have to be creating the channels that allow these conversations and these dialogues uh, to take place in a, in a way that is meaningful and, and of value to the organization. Um, so that's, that's a new role for internal communications, and I think it's important to start doing the reading uh, and, and the listening that's going to help you acquire those skills so you can bring them to your company. Uh, leaders, listen to your communicators. And if you find your fears coming up, try to understand where they're coming from and put them in a particular place, but understand what you're trying to achieve and try to frame these fears in a way that uh, helps move the organization forward. We can't be operating oh, in fear of these Yeah, days. ultimately, ultimately it's a question of uh, helping your leaders understand how all of this can benefit them in the end and help them sleep better at night. I mean, anything that you can couch in terms of... Um, you know, what's keeping you awake at night and, and how this can improve your rest, I think, is, is, is going to get the attention of, of the leadership of the C-suite. Thank you, Shell. Uh, My great pleasure. conversation today. I want to steer people to your website. If you um, go to www.holtz.com, you will have the gateway 
to his blogs and his RSS feeds, and you'll see his uh, podcast, Twitter accounts, LinkedIn, his Doppler profile, Flickr, Tumblr. Uh, he's got it all up there. So visit Shell Holtz uh, and find out more about what he's doing these days. And again, thank you, listeners, for another episode of Fired Up here at Webmaster Radio. We'll check you out next week. 